Good evening. It's so good to be with you, uh, dear saints of Christ Church Presbyterian. Um, just to thank you all uh, for your support and your faithful partnership with us in the gospel. Um, my name is, if you weren't here this morning or if you don't know about me, my name is John Rakshat Prabhakar. I'm here with my wife, Kelly Beth, and our six-year-old daughter, Alethea, uh, who has been very much prayed for by this church for the last few years of our waiting to receive her into our family. Uh, she's She's been um, home for a year and a half now, um, and she didn't know anything about Jesus or a lick of English. And now she speaks English and is learning the children's catechism and worships our triune God as our covenant child. Um, we are so grateful for her, and uh, we love her a lot, and thank you for loving her by praying for her. And um, even as she's been here, she's met so many of you, um, and uh, I think she's just overwhelmed uh, with all the people who recognize her, and she's like, oh, I didn't know, so many new people. <laughs> so uh, thank you all so much, and um, once again, thank you so much for uh, your constant prayers and the monetary support that we've received from you guys, those two very important assets in our ministry, your prayers and your monetary support to uh, continue proclaiming the gospel as faithfully as we can and as often as we can. So thank you very, very much. Um, today's sermon from 2 Corinthians 9, I want it to be sort of like an extended thank you to you, um, using the inspired words of Scripture to thank you, but also to challenge you to continue giving and perhaps give more to the work of God's kingdom and the building of it um, across the world. So that's my intention and goal, to thank you and to challenge you to give uh, continuously and more if possible. Um, and so, as we read God's Word, as is our custom here, would you please rise to hear the Word read? And because this is God's inspired Word, would you please be careful and mindful as to how you are hearing it read? This is God's Word. Second Corinthians 9. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, 
He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, as we have come to the end of this Lord's Day, this day that is truly the market day of our souls, we once again open our Bibles. But, O Spirit of Christ, would you please open our hearts and plant in them your sacred truths so that we might behold Christ Hear His voice in Your written Word, so that these hearts, Father, will be encouraged in the Gospel this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. My my thesis, if you will, my proposition, my point The one point, the singular main point of encouragement that I have for you from this text is this. When God's people experience God's redemption, they want to partake in God's mission by being as generous as they can be with God's resources entrusted to them. When God's people experience God's redemption... They want to partake in God's mission by being as generous as they can be with God's resources entrusted to them. And I want to say this by in three points, if you will. Firstly, God gives grace. Secondly, grace inspires generosity. And thirdly, generosity anticipates results. God gives grace, grace inspires generosity, and generosity anticipates results. Firstly, God gives grace. When we look, we, we get this from the last part of verse 14 and into verse 15, where he says, the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. What is that inexpressible gift? Gift? Well, it is that surpassing grace of God upon you. What is that surpassing grace of God? Well, that should take us back into 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, which says, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. 
What is that triumphal procession? Well, we just read that passage this morning from Colossians 2, verses 11 to 15. In Him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision, the cutting off of Christ Himself. How? Well, by having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Christ through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against you and me with all of its legal demands. This God the Father set aside, nailing it to the cross of Christ. And at the cross, by the cross, and by the power of the cross, He has disarmed rulers and authorities and has put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Christ is the great triumphant King. He is the great conqueror. He is the great conqueror. And because we are in Him, we have been buried with Him, We have been raised with Him. We were made alive together with Jesus Christ. And we have been seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1. And because we are so united to Jesus Christ that all that is His is now ours in Him. Because He's a conqueror, we too have become conquerors. Not just that, because He's more than conqueror, we too have become more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. What are these benefits? Well, we have been forgiven, we were told, of all our sin. That nagging feeling, that nagging memory of that relationship gone sour because of unforgiveness and bitterness from your end towards them, or perhaps you were on the receiving end of it. You wish there were forgiveness. But with the Father, in Jesus Christ, we are are told our sins are forgiven. He is our debt canceled. And then we are told we are justified. We have a righteous standing before God. Not just that our bad record was taken away. We weren't just given... The Father didn't just look at our slate and just wipe it off. No, He took our complete record. The full slate of all of our unrighteousness gave it to Jesus Christ. And He took His perfect, clean record and slate of all of His righteousness and gave it to us. We were justified just as if We had never sinned and actually performed all of the righteousness that Jesus performed on our behalf. 
We were adopted, this, this desire to belong. Community is the big word now these days. We have the biking community, the car community, and all kinds of communities. This deep human desire to belong, but in such superficial places, built on such superficial grounds. What about forgiveness of sin? Reconciliation between God and man. That sounds like pretty solid basis for adoption, for a place to belong. The Father looks at us in the Son and He says, These are mine. I will give them the spirit of adoption. By whom they will cry, Abba, Father. Behold what manner of love is this that we... Sinners, enemies of God who had no inclination to love Him, completely disinclined from Him, should be called children of God. We were adopted, sanctified. Our bookstores are full of self-help books to want to be better. But better by what measure? By what standard? Well, here is Jesus Christ, the prototypical human being. Do you want to know what it is to be a truly human being? Well, look at Jesus Christ. He's the prototype. We must aspire to be like Him. So God says, the good work that He has begun in us by making us look more and more like the prototypical human being, Jesus Christ, He will not stop doing that work until the day it's fully done. And then when it's fully done, we will be like Jesus Christ, basking in the Father's love and glory forever and ever. This is the inexpressible gift that Paul is talking about. In fact, that word inexpressible is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. The, early, the documents in the early church period rarely have this word. It's not because he cannot utter the gospel. You guys have been going through Romans to know that he can wax eloquent about the gospel. But it is indeed that the more words he uses, he's running out of... Words to describe and explain and express this gospel. It is the inexpressible gift of grace. And now we are told He's leading us as our victorious conquering King, leading us through a procession, a triumphal procession, with rulers and authorities on either side. You can, you can see that these rulers and authorities, these demonic forces with Satan as their leader, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, who now has, his mouth has been zipped shut because all of his accusations have been ans- answered for in Jesus Christ at the cross on behalf of his people. And now, as if to rub it in on his face, Christ our victorious King is leading us through that crowd in triumphal procession. 
We are the showcases of God's redemptive grace for His glory. He has put them to open shame. The more we speak of it, like Paul, the more we are lost in speechless wonder. My dear friends, have you tasted of this gospel? Have you any sense, not perfect sense, but have you any sense of what it means to have your sins forgiven? That, that God didn't forgive you with the waving of, the, of His heavenly divine wand. But He accomplished it by coming down Himself. By obeying the law that you could not keep. Taking upon Him the full penalty of your sin and mine. Why? Because He loved us. Why? He loved us. Why did He love us? Because He loved us. If you haven't ever trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, please do so this evening. Even now, I pray. Even now. But then this grace is not static. It is not stagnant. It has a sense of momentum about it. This grace that once you receive it, it puts you on, in motion. This grace, it inspires generosity. Do you see that in verse 2? We are told for, I know your readiness, Paul says about the Corinthian church. There is a readiness of which he has boasted about their giving. And then in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. God loves a cheerful giver. He has seen that joy. So this generosity that Paul has witnessed among the Corinthian church is marked by readiness and by joy. Marked by readiness and by joy. But this readiness and joy he knows is not, it's, not, it's not always going to be there because he knows the temptations that believers face. That the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. He knows that. So as a faithful shepherd pastor, he is sending on his friends to make sure that they have God at the forefront of his mind, of their minds, when they first committed to help these struggling saints in Jerusalem. That it wasn't just a mere knee-jerk emotional reaction that they signed a card and said, I will pledge $10,000 today. But it was prayerfully thought out, ready, joyful pledge and gift. So he says, he doesn't want it to be a bribe. He doesn't want it to be an exaction. Expecting something in return. That's what bribery is. And India is one of the most corrupt nations in the world. 
And it broke our hearts when we went to um, receive Alitia. The people were supposed to ensure that the whole process goes smoothly. Were asking us for bribes, almost threatening our application. It's shameful. It says, I'll do you good if there is good for me in it. But instead, Paul wants their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and on the grace that they have received from Him. It's only as they have their gaze fixed on Jesus Christ that their hearts will have a good relationship around money with an open hand, with a sense of joy and readiness to give. Grace propels Christians outward. They seek God's glory and His people's joy, even if it means disbenefiting themselves for the benefit of others. That's what grace does. So my dear friends, let me take this moment once again to thank you for your generosity and your partnership with us. The work in Bangalore is yours too. We are your hands and feet. You have made our living and serving there possible by your prayers and by your finances. So thank you. We have in our ministry there witnessed so many wonderful things of the Lord. I think of one, one brother who grew up Christian all his life but never had a relationship with Jesus. He went through awful tragedies in life. And on his very first Sunday at church when he had visited us, I was preaching uh, at the end of Genesis when Joseph looks at his brothers and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And that indeed, as was preached today, all things do indeed work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That was his day of salvation. Because somehow all of the hard providences of his life just made sense to him. And he was like, I love this God. He was in tears. The word is at work. Another friend that Kelly Beth has been so integrally involved in discipling, she comes from a Muslim background, and having professed faith in Christ, she was ostracized from her entire family. She didn't learn of her brother's passing a week until after until he was buried. She had to flee from her city and come to Bangalore. And Kellybeth has been intentional in discipling this sister. And she goes through so many difficulties. And I sit down regularly with her for pastoral counseling. And it has been incredible to see the, the joy of her salvation take deep hold of her heart. Even as she's wrestling with some of the most challenging situations that one can face in that um, nature and circumstance and relationship that she has with her family. Another family couple, they grew up Eastern Orthodox. They, their services um, were in Syrian. Imagine that. 
Um, and they didn't understand anything that was being said by the priest. They came, heard the gospel, and they were so revived in their joy and salvation. And thankfully, they had come to experience the, grow, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at another church in another city. But having come to our church, they came even to Reformed and Presbyterian convictions, where now this brother serves as one of our ruling elders who was just appointed in March, right before we came to the U.S. By the way, there's um, a lady named Sam. She is one of our elders' wives. She, she thanks you, too, for supporting us. Uh, she's one of our closest, dearest friends, and we get to serve the church a lot uh, with her. Um, we, we are so grateful for you all supporting us, but the saints there are so grateful that you all, you all support us. We have three non-Christians regularly come to our worship services who have heard the gospel coming from Hindu and Buddhist families, but for whatever reason, they, they, are, not, they are not in the kingdom yet. We pray, and I ask that you pray, my dear friends, that their hearts would be softened, then the Father would draw them through Jesus Christ. All of these things are made possible by God's resources that have been entrusted to you and that you, by your generosity, have made possible in your giving to us. So thank you. We have indeed seen this kind of grace that inspires generosity at work in this congregation. So thank you. What's, what, do you, what do we get out of this? What are you to expect out of this? And that's the third thing we'll look at. Grace anticipates results. Grace anticipates results. There was this, um, Indians are known for being cheapskate. Um, there was this old ad, um, Vishal will probably remember this, from about 10 years ago. Uh, this is for a car. And uh, the, the, the person who's showing around the showroom, he would, he would boast about the great features of this car. Amazing air conditioner and, you know, power windows. You don't have to roll it up anymore. And uh, great engine and all of that. Um, and uh, in, in the crowd are all, all kinds of people. You, there were clearly white people and then black people and then there were Indians. And the Indian goes, um, basically, kitna deti hai, which in English translates, what does it give? What's the mileage? That's what I want to know. What's in it for me? And isn't that how the corporate world works? That's good business strategy. But it does not work when it comes to giving and generosity in God's kingdom. What's in it for me? Because you and I are not the end of God's redemptive purposes. God's glory is the end of God's redemptive purposes in this world. So what's in it for me is a wrong attitude to have when it comes to our giving and generosity. And this is the way the prosperity gospel preachers make their money, right? And it has, this gospel, which is no gospel at all, has wreaked havoc in the Indian church. 
Sow your seed money, they say, and God will clear off your debts, heal you of your cancer, and make you rich. My dear friends, we are debtors of mercy. God, as our benevolent provider, loves to give good things. And out of His benevolence, He tells us there is something in it for us. Not because we deserve to ask, what's in it for me? But out of His generosity, He says, there's something in it for you. And so He lists, I think, at least a few things from this chapter that He wants you, the saints at at Christ Church Charleston, to anticipate with eagerness when you're generous. Firstly, in verse 10, we are told there is a harvest of your righteousness. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What Paul Paul has in mind here is really Hosea's people in the background. Remember Hosea, the, the, the prophet who who would marry a prostitute to signify and show a lived-out parable in that sense that Yahweh is, is now betrothed to a prostitute, or rather that His bride is prostituting herself with all the other foreign gods. They worshipped the Baal of the neighboring lands. Baal was the god of, of productivity and fertility. And as agriculture as Israel was and Judah was and this nation was at that point and Ephraim in particular was there, was, there was this tendency, this temptation, but we need to go back to these gods. Maybe there's more there. And then they started having these localized shrines for these different gods in different places. There was the abuse of human life when they would offer human sacrifice. There was abuse of human sexuality through bestiality and incest and even mutilations. They were becoming increasingly commonplace. And so God says, you have plowed plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice, Hosea 10 verse 13. You have eaten the fruit of lies. But isn't our God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Isn't that our God who seeks to show compassion and mercy? So that right before He pronounces this judgment in verse 12, He says, He calls them, He lures them, He woos their heart. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is a time to seek the Lord, that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. So here's what Paul is saying here. There was, God's people are... They know from experience what it is to sow iniquity and reap justice from God. But instead, we have now a people of God who have sown righteousness. And what will they reap? 
according to Hosea 10, they will reap steadfast love. And of course, you know that this is not a moralism that Paul is preaching. That because you've been generous, God will now give you salvation. That because you've sown good works, you've now earned it from God. But rather, as you've experienced the one, one of the main things that the world has always struggled with, money in its proper place. Because you have kept God at the, on the throne of your hearts. And you have therefore had a good relationship with money and you've been generous, which is your righteous works. You will now reap God's intimate, steadfast love for you even more. You will come to taste and see God's goodness for you. His covenant love for you. So there's a sense in which, my dear friends, if you're struggling with generosity, if you're someone who, who thinks the American dream, and maybe there are different scales now to the American dream, so that you can keep building further and further on, that the American dream is all that there is to life. Maybe you can achieve that dream, and once you have a little extra, you can think about giving to the local church and its mission around the world. No, no. Paul says you're making your heart sick by doing that. You're crippling your heart's capacity to enjoy the one thing that will satisfy you even more than if you had a million dollars in your bank account. And that is the Father's infinite love for you in Jesus Christ. It is keeping you from experiencing that. So what result can you expect by being generous? You can expect to reap more love a greater experience of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. So, what else, Paul? He says, you can expect to reap love, reap a greater intimacy of God's love for you, but you can expect that as you give, the freedom to give more. The freedom to give more. He who supplies seed to the sower, verse 10, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The more you give, the more you are satisfied in God's love for you in Jesus Christ, the more you want to give. It's this cycle you see. But the tighter you clench onto your money, the tighter you hold fast to your money, you, the, the sicker your heart gets, and the more you want to hold fast onto your money. But instead, if you give, you experience God's love for you even more. And the more you do it, the more you want to keep doing it. You make giving a habit. What else, Paul? Well, the third result is that, well, obviously needs are met, verse 12. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He provides for all the needs to be met. And verse 12, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Practical needs are being met. 
We need diesel for our car so that we can go and counsel this sister in Christ who has had a terrible crisis in her life during COVID time. Where her mother died out of COVID and she could not travel because she lived in another city. So we could travel and see the sister and offer her comfort. Or these elders who were just uh, installed uh, right before we came here. The resources that they need. India doesn't have a lot of good reformed literature. So we have to ship them from the U.S. And they're all sold at dollar prices, which Indians, the average middle class Indian can't afford very much. So your funds were used to get those resources so these men can be trained And as a result, we were able to install three additional ruling elders and our very first deacon. Practical needs are being met. You can expect that result. But as a result of these practical needs being met, verse 11, we are told that there's thanksgiving. There's thanksgiving in people's hearts. Their hearts are full of gratitude. And what is the end result in all of this? Verse verse 13. They are glorifying God. Isn't that that the chief end of man? Isn't that therefore the chief end of missions? That all peoples everywhere will glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Isn't that why missions exist? Because there are people in this world who are not glorifying God and who are sin sick and dead. And they need to hear the quickening power that is embedded in the gospel message and experience it. They need to be born again. But they can't be born again if they don't hear the gospel. They must hear the gospel. God's glory is at stake, my dear friends. That's why we give. So that when you do give, what result can you expect? The saints in Bangalore, the saints in Milan, Italy, the saints in Heidelberg, Germany, the saints around the world glorifying God. So those are five results that, my dear friends, I pray will be true in your life, that you can anticipate with eagerness. These results are not the results of answer to the question, what's in it for me in a a human-centered way, in a man-centered way? What benefit can I gain from this? Because you see, that would detract our focus away from Jesus Christ. But this answer of these five results where as a result of our generosity, we would grow in our experience of God's love for us in Christ. And that as a result, we would give more. And that as the practical needs on the ground are being met, more grateful hearts may be formed there so that ultimately God might be glorified. These five results continue to keep Christ at at the center stage. Continue to make more of Him. So there's a cycle here. There are needs on the ground. You give. 
the receivers are thankful and they send their thanks back to you, you say, thanks be to God for the resources that He provided. Praise Him. Let's move on to the next need. It is not about us. It is not about you. It's ultimately about God and His glory in the nations. So thank you for partaking in this work. You truly are our partners in our work in Bangalore. And I can say, my dear friends, through your generosity, there are so many thankful hearts. It is not about me. It is not about Kelly Beth. It is not about us. But God has been pleased to use our labors made possible by your generosity in prayers and monetarily so that more hearts might come to more fully see and savor the love of God in Jesus Christ. No other God in India, out of its 330 million gods, no other God offers this kind of love except our triune God through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will be more and more satisfied in Him. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these saints who have given so much of themselves to praying for us regularly and supporting us with the resources that you have given them. But Father, I pray, if I may, for them, that if there's anyone here struggling with the love of money, Father, you would, you would convict them of their sin so that they will experience redemption of, and freedom from slavery to money and prestige and acclaim and um, assets in this world. So that they might make Christ and His purposes their big priority in life. And as a result, experience more of your love for them in Jesus. I pray for any who has never come to faith in Jesus. Who does not have a relationship with you. Oh, Father, would you please target that particular heart, even right now. Send your Spirit Break down that hard-hearted person. Bring them to their knees so that they might be lost in wonder and awe of your marvelous love for them in Jesus. Father, thank you for these saints. Increase their generosity so that they might see more hearts filled with gratitude as more people come and savor Jesus across the world. And yes, through this particular partnership, even in Bangalore, India. Thank you, Father, for the love that they have for us, that you've given them. In Jesus' name, amen.